creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza, a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator. And whether I'm illustrating for clients like Apple and Xbox or creatively pep talking teams at places like Warby Parker and Sesame Street, I aim to make stories that make people want to say yes to life. And uh, I'm also ADHD, which means it takes a lot of creativity to do anything, let alone build a thriving creative practice. And this podcast is just me sharing all the things that are helping me do just that in hopes that it helps you build a more creative life as well. Let's go. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. We all have creative dreams, don't we? We all have things that we'd love to achieve, things that seem impossible to achieve, things that we can't imagine ourselves achieving, but we have this inner aspiration to do that thing. It's very annoying. And uh, when you start listening to people that have achieved these things, I think that you get one of two answers. You get, well, just, uh, you know, out of my hands, just lucky, I guess. And I think that is a respectable answer. I think it often comes from a place of understanding and recognizing your personal privileges and ways that your success was out of your hands. And I think that those things are really important. But it can also be a kind of gatekeeping Because even if only 10% of what you achieved is your own making, if you're not willing to share that 10%, you're not helping anybody else achieve their creative dreams. And so uh, that, that can be a pitfall, but a worse pitfall is telling people to just do the work. Just do it! As if people are just extremely lazy and the only thing that's stopping them from living their creative best life is is that they're just lazy and they watch too much Netflix and they're just 
not willing to get out of bed in the morning. And the truth is, I don't feel like the people I know are really in that category. The people I know don't actually struggle to do the work for the most part. For the most part, the thing they struggle with is not doing the work, but questioning whether the work will work, whether it will make a difference, whether putting in the time will actually lead to anything interesting at all. And so in this episode, we're going to explore how do you put yourself in a position where you know that the work that you're doing will lead you to your creative dreams or at least help you shoot for the stars and land in the clouds and land in a place where you're better than you are right where you find yourself. Let's go. And if you stay to the end, I'm going to share with you four personality types that are something that we revisited in a old episode of the show that I want to apply in a new way that I really feel strongly will help you get a lot better at unlocking your biggest creative dreams. Let's go. Okay, so to introduce this episode, I have to explore something personal. I just have to say, first of all, you might have noticed at the top of this episode that I said I was a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and this is the first episode that I've ever been able to say that because it just happened, and it was no small part down to all of your incredible support of our new book, Invisible Things. And uh, I have just been so overwhelmed with gratitude about the way that our community has shown up to support the book and support Sophie and I and the feedback that we've had with the book. Of course, we always hoped that it would make it onto some lists and get some attention, but if I'm completely honest, I genuinely didn't think we had a shot at the New York Times bestselling list. I thought we might have had a shot on some other lists, but when this came through, I was going for a walk and my phone had died. And so I got a, f- a phone call on my watch, my Apple watch, and it was Sophie and I answered it. And we had been sent an email that I hadn't seen that the publisher had seen that we were on the New York Times list. And uh, Sophie's parents were in town from the UK and they were in the car and we were all uh, a crying mess. <laughs> uh, and um, we, it was just an incredible moment that I, I didn't really know if it could ever happen. But I looked on my phone and I could see at least as far back as 2017 that it was one of my goals to make a picture book um, with Sophie and to, um, a separate goal was to make it on the New York times bestsellers list. And it was a lofty goal. It was meant to just be some pie in the sky thing that whole, that notion of shooting for the stars, landing in the clouds kind of thing. And, uh, not something I thought would ever really happen. And so I just first have to say thank you to, um, all of you for showing up in just huge waves of support Um, you made a big difference in making this happen. 
Also, massive thank you to the librarians and teachers that have already adopted the book in such a big way because um, you also just made such a huge difference. And um, I wanted to just do a little episode as I'm coming back after some time off and explore a little bit of what I think helped contribute to on a creative level, on a creative journey level, me getting to this place. And the reason I started thinking about it was if you end up getting on podcasts and and whatnot, you kind of mentally prepare for questions that you know are going to come. And so because I know that being a New York Times bestseller is something that a lot of creators want, I just knew that that question was going to come is how do you do it? And I started thinking about all the pieces and I, and I was very aware that my initial response would be like the one at the top of this episode, which was to revert to luck, privilege, time and place, all things that were out of my control. And I did that because it's true. There's a ton of pieces to this that are things that I am just extremely lucky, even in terms of where I was born, when I was born, when I was coming up as a creator and relative to the internet being made and all these kind of things. There's so many things that are out of my control and it feels really egotistical to claim that this is something that I just manifested out of sheer will and and effort and, and strategy. But as soon as I started thinking of answering that way, I instantly was hit with that other feeling of that. There is a lot of truth to, there is a big percentage of this and and it's impossible to say how much that comes down to those things that are out of my control. It could be 50%. It could be 95%. I I don't, I, I can't really say, but what I can say is that there was a percent of things that I have done recently when we were selling the book, but then also doing over the past 10, 15 years that I do believe contributed to making this possible. And it would be a form of gatekeeping to just play off that question in a humble way and be like, I don't know, just I'm just lucky. I'm just grateful. I'm just kind of an idiot who didn't know anything and it just landed in my lap and all I can do is say thank you. And yeah, all those things are true to, to a degree, but uh, ultimately there were a lot of things that I think helped me get from the place I was 10 years ago when I first started out wanting to make picture books and what I'm doing now. Now, at some point, we may go more into specific strategies. Uh, probably the most, uh, th- we did a lot of different things, and I think all of them were helpful, um, some more than others. But probably the most helpful strategy was one that we're, we're not going to dive into super deep in this episode, but maybe we will in a future episode, and we have uh, at different times in the past. But it's not a super attractive strategy in that it was a 10-year strategy. Um, I think that I bought the book Platform by Michael Hyatt, who was a former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing and now since is kind of a business leader. And um, 
I bought, I bought that book, I think 2012. And it's when I started wanting to pursue making books really seriously. And, um, that book is all about, it's called platform and it's all about how from the inside, whether you want it to be true, whether he wanted it to be true or not, he was finding that typically the best publishing deals were going to people who had a big online platform in one way or another. And that whole book was mainly written through the perspective of blogs because that was kind of the thing at the time. And I translated a lot of those ideas into the podcasting realm. I'd already had a blog. I'd already spent a lot of time thinking about how to share what was helping me as a creator because it's a natural impulse and it's a very motivating why for me to want to share what's helping me because when I see, when I meet a person with ADHD or autism or just for some reason or another, maybe low energy, it doesn't really matter. When I meet somebody who's really creative and yet the system that they were born into is not able to recognize their creativity, cultivate it, or help them find a path to reaching their potential. Ever since I, I mean, I've, been this person since I was a kid. I remember just seeing so much potential in friends that they didn't see in themselves. And it just broke my heart. Um, if they, if they weren't living into it in some way. And so anytime I would find something that seemed to help me be more disciplined or, uh, solve a problem or get a creative job or whatever it was, I always was quick to try to share it. So that was something I was doing authentically before I ever read that book. However, when I read the book, um, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of ways you can build a platform that have nothing to do with helping people. Uh, I think ultimately it is about providing some type of consistent value. And uh, when basic needs are met, usually the types of value you're meeting are emotional, uh, psychological needs of of people. And so that could be making them laugh. It could be making them cry. It could be making them angry. It could be making them excited. It could be making them bond with other people. There's a whole bunch of different types of value that you can deliver on. And if you can deliver on it in a consistent way over time, you will start to grow a newsletter or a blog or a podcast or a f Instagram or TikTok following. If you can figure out what type of value is easy for you to consistently provide, you will start amassing people showing up on a regular basis to get that value from you. And that's essentially what that book was about. That was the strategy. And, um, it was one of the contributing factors to taking the podcast so seriously. So, you know, if there was one big thing that helped, um, at the very least get the deal that, that led to this end, it, that was probably the most strategic thing. However, I think that there's something, you know, if we're going to probe at this somewhat philosophically and we're going to ask the why behind the why behind the why, you got to go beyond the strategy and you got to go into, well, what were the conditions that were, that made it possible to put a strategy that was a decade long into practice? And what was the strategy? What were the conditions 
for someone with ADHD that struggles with motivation, that struggles with discipline to show up and do the work for that long of a period of time. And so that was the question that I wanted to explore and answer on the show, because like I said, it's my experience that people don't struggle to do the work because they're bad people, because they don't care, because they're lazy. They struggle to do the work because they don't know if it's going to work. Whatever game you're playing, it won't work. And I came up with three things that I think contribute to believing that the work will work. Because when you have that belief, it is the foundation of decades of productivity that lead to really interesting things. Um, Whether it's a platform, whether it's a book deal, whether it's being on some fancy list um, so that you're, so you can uh, prove yourself to your parents. That's not true. My parents aren't New York Times readers. I don't know if it means anything to them, but these are the three things that you can do to help set yourself up to believe that the work that you're going to do next will work and will be worth it. And when you have that belief, you're so much more likely to show up and follow through. Let's get into it. Your CTA for this week, your creative call to adventure is to build out three beliefs that will help you believe that the work will be worth it. The three beliefs, the first one is believe in the goal. Okay, so what this means is, is you've got to increase the belief that this goal is worth attaining. So there's a few different ways you can do that. First of all, it's really, really hard for me to pick a goal because I want to do so many things. I have the multi-hyphenate ADHD thing where I want to do a million things, a million things look attractive to me and shiny. I get that shiny object syndrome. I have the creatively divergent type brain that has no problem coming up with options, has a lot of problems picking one. So it is a ton of work that I have to be very intentional with to pick a big goal that is my main quest. We're going to talk about next week, making your main quest, finding a main quest. If you don't have one, that's a little tease to the, to the following week, but it's, it's essential for me to have some kind of idea of like, what's the main thing I'm doing? I'm always doing a bunch of things, but what is the main thing? And what helps me figure that out is the first thing is a book that we talk about a lot called the one thing by Jay Papazan and uh, Gary Keller, Gary Keller being the guy from real estate. He talks about always having an idea of what the one thing is. And it helps me because it's really hard for me to spread my motivation out into a bunch of different places. And so I like to have a one thing for a week, a one thing for a day. And obviously you're going to do other things, but getting clear about like, what is the one thing that I'm, that I have to do. And he says, what is the domino that if you knock over, 
will knock over all the other goals that you have or make them easier to knock over. And he talks about this classic business analogy that is really powerful. And it's the idea that a, one domino can knock over another domino, double its size. And in like 10 dominoes, you're knocking over a door and then something like 25 dominoes. I don't know, something ridiculous. You're knocking over a skyscraper sized domino. That's, that's how crazy this kind of one thing momentum can, uh, how crazy its power is. So First thing you, you need to do is believe in the goal. You need to put in the work to find the goal that you truly believe is going to meet a need, a deep need, and have a domino effect on meeting other wants and needs. You know, when I started this podcast, I know any new project, I know it's going to knock the domino over of if it's the wrong thing, I've crossed off another thing that's distracting me. And so I knew that, but I thought if I do it well, it's going to lead to getting speaking gigs where I'm speaking at design and illustration conferences. And not only is that what I wanted to do more than anything at that moment, I also knew that it would knock over the domino of when you get those speaking opportunities, you're also more likely to get better jobs because you just saw a bunch of a bunch of art directors and designers just paid attention to your brand messaging for an hour. And there were, you know, there were more multiple dominoes after that that we don't need to get into. But if you can spend time not only isolating what the main thing is, but isolating why it is the right next domino. For me personally, the New York Times bestselling list was not a domino that I thought, oh, if we get on that, all of our financial problems, all of our financial aspirations will be done for the rest of my life. I knew that it w wouldn't hurt, but I ultimately believed that it would be something that would help just bolster my creative practice in terms of how people see what I do from the outside. You know, those kind of credentials, I thought, I think that's a need that I have. And I think it's really important to spend time probing the desires, the goals, the things that you're after, because almost every story that you watch, every movie, every book you read is about a character that wants something that's not going to meet the need because they haven't taken the time to reflect and probe their unconscious to get at what the need they're trying to meet actually is. And usually the obstacle that stops them is trying to tell them you're going the wrong way. This thing that you're after is not going to fulfill you in the way that you need to be fulfilled. And all of that pain and anguish of going through an unnecessary hero's journey can be saved if you will spend a little more time up front making sure that you've picked an aspiration, that you picked a goal that will have a domino effect, a cascading effect, not just on you, but on the people around you. There's a podcast listener, Conde Bartlett, who does coaching and spiritual work with people. And she once told me this thing that really stuck with me. And it was when you're picking your goal, when you're looking at your aspirations, make sure you stop and think, what are what's the cascading effect not just the dominoes in your life that are going to knock over in a one direction, but you can picture dominoes 
being more like a ripple effect that this domino hits that domino and the dominoes around you, the people around you, how is you achieving this goal? Not just going to benefit you, but benefit the people that you love because the more that you can get your subconscious to believe that this is a worthwhile goal, that subconscious is you in the audience watching the hero pursue something totally egoic and totally meaningless and rooting against them. But if you can get them, if you can get the subconscious to see that and your subconscious is more tuned with the, you can call it instincts of being a social animal, meaning part of why you exist is for the tribe is for the other people. Um, if you can get them bought into this goal is good for us. It's good for the people you love you will be so much more bought in. And when you're that bought in, you will be willing to do the work. Okay, number two is believe the process. So first you got to believe in the goal. Then you got to believe in the process of reaching the goal. This is a process. It's a process. It's a process. You have to know this is the best stuff to do to reach where I'm trying to go. You need to get in touch with the best practices. And so you need to dive in and research how have people done things that positively contributed to this happening. And reading books like Platform was a part of it, but also talking to people that had done this before. I had some really key conversations with some New York Times bestsellers in the past that told me some keys, like these are some things to think about. And back all the way with the project that led to Invisible Things, the book that broke through for me, I did this daily project called Nod, which if you're a long-time listener or even a short-time listener, if you've listened to more than one episode, you've probably heard about this project because it made such an impact on me. Um, at the time that I'd done that project, it came from doing this massive daily project came directly from believing in the process from finding other people who had done a similar process and it had worked for them. And so at that time I was stuck in my creative practice. I couldn't get any new clients. And so I started to obsessively research people who had achieved the things that I wanted to achieve that worked with the clients that I wanted to work with. And I looked at people like Lisa Congdon and Kate Bingham and Burt and Jessica Hish. And these were people who had gotten really great projects with, with clients that were really attractive to, to, to me by doing long-term big personal projects with lots of pieces and posting them to social media or onto their blog or onto their website on a regular basis. And this was, you know, this was back in 2011 and this kind of thing still works in some ways now, but you might have to do a slightly different strategy. That's why it's really important to not just know the strategy, but understand the tactical elements of how it's working practically in the day and age in which you're trying to achieve that thing. Because strategies don't change, but tactics do how you actually do them because social media changes, the location changes, but ultimately people don't change that much. So I, at that time, had studied these people that I respected and really looked up to, and I learned that they were doing these longer-term daily projects, and that was contributing to 
getting the kind of projects that they wanted and doing this podcast. Even, even now, one of the things that happens is if we have a new goal, maybe there's a goal guest that we want to get or a goal sponsor that we want to work with, or, you know, we want to grow the show, like all these different things that you may want to do with the podcast. I actually listen to podcasts about podcasting and I read books about podcasting and I spend time soaking up the fresh strategies and tactics that are working today. And once I find, and that's honestly, so much of this show is just trying to show up with a new tactic, a new strategy, a new idea, a new thing to add to your utility belt and your creative process that helps brighten up your hopes for the future. And ultimately, I'm trying to give you a new tool every week to fill up that cup of believing in the process, believing that there's a way of doing the work that might just work. And so you've got to be kind of a hunter gatherer for those types of ideas that help you believe if I do this thing, it will likely, or it just might actually lead to a result. And so that's the next thing you need to do. You need to go find people and get as much time with them parasocially or actually socially face-to-face is the most ideal because there's nothing like making an achievement human by finding the human and seeing their humanity and knowing that you are like them and there's no difference. And if they did it with these processes, you can too. And once you start believe in the actions you're taking, you're going to be so much more likely to do it. If you knew that somebody made a million dollars by putting in 10,000 steps a day, every day for a year, you'd do it. You'd figure out how to do it. You'd get a treadmill. You'd invest in it. You'd spend the time. Honestly, I'm so sold out on the idea that a plus effort on an irregular basis will get destroyed by a C plus effort on a very habitual, regular basis. And so if you figure out, I know this thing works and I just have to keep hammering at it, you will hammer at it for a very, very long time. And if you will hit something that long with that much intention, you will have a breakthrough. And sure, it might not be the exact goal that you're after. You know, we hoped and wished and worked for previous books to hit the New York Times bestsellers list, and they didn't. This was the first one that did. But guess what? We had achieved all kinds of other things and got on other lists and had experiences and creative successes from believing that the process would work, even if it didn't end up turning into the exact goal that we had aspired to. All right. Last one. Number three is believing in yourself. Believe in yourself. We need some sprinkly, twinkly music there. Um, (laughs) I promise you it does not. This, this piece is not as fluffy as it may sound. I actually saved it for last because I think it's the most important and it's also the most practical advice that I have on this episode. And uh, what I mean by believe in yourself is I think ultimately believing in yourself means keeping contracts you make with yourself. Now, I am 
absolutely terrible at this. I'm terrible. If I say, I'm not going to have any drinks in January, or I'm not going to, I'm going to go walk 10,000 steps every day, or I'm not going to eat pizza this month or whatever it is. I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at following through. Now, people that know me may not believe me, believe me because there have been times in my life where I completely changed my diet and I was really religious about counting calories for several years every single day. Um, I, I run at three miles every other day, those sorts of, I do this podcast almost every single week for nine years. So a lot of people wouldn't believe that I'm bad at it, but I tell you I'm bad at it so that you know, first of all, cause it's true. I am really bad at it. I have so many contracts with myself all the time. Um, or especially in the past, I would do this re- very frequently and break these contracts. I do it less now, mostly because I make less contracts with myself. And the reason is, is because I understand what motivates me. I make sure that the goal is something I really believe in. I make sure I know I have a process that I believe in. And I have to, when I make that contract, I try to get really, really serious about it. And there are sometimes I do contracts with myself and they're not official, obviously. They're just things I've said to myself in my head. Sometimes I do contracts with myself, which is more of a, let's try to do this. And I sometimes get success with that more often than just randomly promising myself I'm not going to do something or I am going to do something. However, when there's something that with a goal that I really believe in and I have a process that I really believe in and I'm really, really committed to doing that thing, I have learned how to make those contracts in such a way that I, when I make them, I believe that I'm going to follow through with them. And if you don't believe that you have follow through, that you can trust yourself, if you don't believe yourself, that kind of lack of trust will undermine your entire creative practice. And the thing I would suggest you do is you come up with something that's easy and obvious and frictionless and fun that you really, really are certain that you want to do that helps you towards a goal, sure, that you have a process that you believe in. But even more than that, I think it's important to just show yourself, prove to yourself that if you do the upfront work right to make sure it's something that you believe in, that you do have the power to complete a contract that you made with yourself. And I think ultimately... The biggest lesson in everything that I learned about doing this picture book, even with all the luck and everything else thrown into it, is I think the thing that made the hugest difference to me was doing that daily project. And that daily project was valuable on a whole bunch of levels, sure, creatively, career-wise, whatever. But nothing compares to what I learned about myself when I said I'm going to make a new character every weekday for a year, 260 characters. Nothing changed me into the type of person that is willing to put in the time over the long haul and even just a little bit of time, but consistently enough to get somewhere interesting, enough, even if it's just one step a day, 
you add up, you do that long enough in, in a year, you're going to be somewhere completely different than you are in right now. And what happened was, you know, day 13 was the first day in that 260 day project where I got zero response. I got zero likes on the post on my daily character post. And it was the first day that happened. And I just thank the universe that it wasn't the last day that I got zero likes because if it had been, it would have been the last time I posted because I got zero likes on plenty of those characters. And I remember that day feeling like, have I made a huge mistake? Was this the wrong direction? I was so certain that this was the direction that I needed to take. How could I be this wrong? And I decided to say I couldn't have been wrong. I did the work. I made the commitment. I'm going to keep going. And it kind of reminds me of something I've heard John Mayer say. You see a lot of clips around about um, John Mayer getting sober and all the different insights that he has about that. And I think some of them are really good. One of them is that he said one of the things that finally helped him quit drinking was when he had tried to quit and eventually he'd get in a scenario where his brain would tell him, you made a big mistake trying to quit. You definitely should have a drink. He realized eventually that he needed to convince himself that no matter what his brain was going to say at any given time, that he had to know that the answer was, if you think that the answer is to have a drink, then you are in a dumber place than you were when you made this decision, no matter what. No matter what, on day 13, when I got zero likes, I had known I'm committed to this direction no matter what because I put in the time, believing in the goal, believing in the process, making it something doable, making it something that was in line with who I believed that I was. And this is another thing. We're going to talk about Atomic Habits here and there because I've been revisiting that book by James Clear. And he talks about how one of the keys to achieving your goals of starting a habit is making sure that it's in line with who you believe you are and then also adopting the kind of identity that you want to have. So you don't just say, I want to eat less because I want to lose weight. You say, I want to eat less because, or I want to eat better things, not just less because I am a healthy person. I know underneath this, I am someone who values my health and grounding it there. And I'd spent time believing that this work that I was doing was who I was. And it didn't matter if nobody liked it. I was going to do it because I was someone who loved making characters and it was true. And it's true. Then it's true today. And so that's the last piece I want to give you. And I guess this is the most actionable part of the call to adventure, which was kind of a long CTA this week is like I promised at the start of the episode, we're going to revisit uh, four personality types and they're the personality types called the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin and they get at your motivation and we have explored it through motivation previously, 
but I want to apply this more specifically to believing in yourself. When you know what motivates you, what tends to work in the past, and you set up a commitment to yourself that acknowledges what really motivates you, it will increase your belief that you're going to follow through with your plan of action. And so here they are. There's four types of motivational styles. And Gretchen Rubin found that we're not all motivated by the same thing. And so sometimes the advice I may give you or sometimes the advice a friend might give you might not apply to you if you have a different motivational style when it comes to keeping commitments to yourself. So they are, number one is rebel, two is obliger, three is questioner, four is upholder. And I'm glad we're revisiting this because I, for a while, was con- I was convinced that I was a rebel. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. And as I revisited it with fresh information over the past couple years, I realized that I'm almost positive that I'm actually a questioner. And I think it'll make sense considering this episode. But we'll go through them. Rebel, basically, you're not motivated by internal obligations. You're not motivated by external motivations. This is the guy on family guy that says, I don't play by anybody's rules. I don't even play by my own rules. And then he breaks his own rules and then he's like, see, and, uh, and that's the rebel. They don't want obligations. And I think you have to think of it like this. If you're a rebel, you need to parkour your way to success, meaning you've got to find something to push against, not something to push for. And I saw Donald Glover and Tyler, the creator, both said that their breakthrough albums were a result of somebody saying either online or in person that they couldn't possibly make an album like X. Uh, I saw this on TikTok somewhere where they were talking about like, this was the power of resentment and some people being really motivated by that. That's, that's the rebel. Now the obliger, that's somebody who makes a commitment to somebody else and feels obliged by an external obligation. And so this might look like body doubling where you commit to go to the laundromat with somebody else. So that there's just somebody with you. Uh, this could look like joining a class because you know, exercise with other people and having an obligation and a teacher knows that you're supposed to be there makes you go to the class. It could be um, signing up for a membership of some kind because you know that you're the type of person that needs to make the membership worth it. And so you have to go five times to make it worth more than uh, just signing up for the day. This also might look like making sure that the type of creative commitments that you make to yourself are ones with a collaborator collaborator that is someone like an upholder. And so an upholder is somebody who makes the rules. They want them really specific and they make sure that they're done the right way. And you can see, maybe I have a little upholder in me and that I did talk a lot about making sure the process is right, making sure we've laid the groundwork right. But really I don't I'm not much of an upholder. Upholder is both an obliger to themselves internally and obliger to others externally. I don't really have that. I think ultimately I'm in the category of the questioner. Now the questioner needs to know why. And that's what this whole episode is about. That's the full circle moment is that I need to believe in what I'm doing on the deepest levels 
And one of the things that really helped me recently was reading this article with David Trigley and Juxtapose. David Trigley is probably my favorite artist right now. I just freaking love his work and um, just so inspired by how he, he does what he does. And um, uh, I was so inspired by that article because it's really a picture into his lifestyle as a creator and it ignited something in me because I realized that I've never just chased my dreams. I've never just, um, and I never just went for money. I always, always was trying to find the Venn diagram of what would make for the most ideal work lifestyle where I could rest the amount I needed to rest. I could fill up my cup and the work that I was doing would also in some way or another fill me up and not deplete me and make me unregulated as an ADHD person. Lifestyle has always been my number one. And this was before I had ever heard any of the research. I just felt on an intuitive level that the thing that I needed to be as a parent was a regulated human. And I've since kind of run into some of the research that talks about why that is the case, that, that you being, you know, you having your oxygen mask on first in terms of energy and fulfillment and, and rest and, um, you know, all of the self-care and pieces that make you your best self, that's the biggest, most important thing to you as a parent, because you can guilt yourself to play with your kid for a few minutes, but that fuel only lasts for so long, especially if you're not an obliger. You know, I need to, I realize like if I want to spend more time with my kids, I, first of all, I need to be healthy so that I can stay around long enough to be there for my kids. But I also need to feel full so that I have something to give. And that's one of the reasons lifestyle is so important to me. So I realized recently I revisited that through that article with David Shrigley, realizing that lifestyle is my number one motivator. And when I understand that goal and I believe in this is the process that will help me course correct or make a, a better lifestyle and I can commit to it to myself because I know that when I know the why, I can show up and do the work. When I have that main quest and I have that method for achieving the, the quest and I believe in it, I can become an uh, unstoppable force. And when I don't have those things, I am whatever the opposite of an unstoppable force is. I'm um, a, um, an immovable object, <laughs> basically. Uh, and so that might not be you, but I think identifying which of these motivational styles will help you make a commitment to yourself that you can believe in because you know that it is in line with how you do what you do. All right, that's it for another episode. Massive shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y. One of my all-time favorite bands, by the way. That's another thing that I'm just outrageously grateful for. Um, they were definitely my favorite band in college. Uh, I've been a fan ever since. And um, getting to license some of his music for this show has been one of the biggest dream come 
true moments for me. And uh, just every once in a while, I got to elaborate on it because if you don't know why, get to know him. Um, massive shout out to Connor Jones, who I hate. Um, feel the exact opposite about to you. <laughs> just, just Josh and Connor. I love you, and it's a dream working with you. Uh, he, I don't know. I'm in a mood. Um, massive shout out to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for editing the show and for sound design. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler and Ryan Appleton and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all other sorts and kinds. And um, until we speak again, do whatever you got to do to stay pepped up. I mean, don't do whatever you got to do. Don't break the law. Don't hurt anybody. I don't care how creatively pepped that makes you, you freak. Don't do, you know, do reasonable things until next episode to stay pepped up. Yeah.